Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments, but I can just feel there's more coming. And especially as we get closer to the end of this uh, wonderful book, and uh, I can't say enough good about it. Well, on our last podcast, Gabe and I finished up through chapter 27. We're, we're working very hard to, uh, to get through with this book. And we will have a short, very just four, um, I would say, um, podcasts on Moby Dick. And then we're going to get into our new series, which uh, I will be announcing. But it is about books. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was funny. Anyway, Gabe is back with me in the studio today. We are ready to discuss the highlights from several new chapters, beginning with chapter 28. And what these chapters do is they reveal that Jim had become the virtual ruler of Patterson. He was in love with a beautiful woman, and enemies were plotting to assassinate him. And so, so this is what we're going to be about today. Now, Deborah could not be here today. And uh, yet, I am not alone. Um, uh, like I said, Gabe is here with me. And uh, the, uh, he's got a mic. Uh, he's ready to discuss Jim and Patterson. Parker, who is always eager to help, is off on a special project. So essentially, in the studio today are just Gabe, me, and the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's going to be interesting. All right, I highly recommend you finish this book and you finish it quickly. And if you have not gotten the book, I still recommend you get the book and go back to the very beginning and start listening to all the podcasts. You can get those podcasts at the trumpet.com website. All right, so Gabe, are you ready? Yep. All right, so chapter 28. Uh, essentially, uh, to just give you a little overview, is Marlowe gives us a news report on what happens on Patterson after Jim's superhero destruction of Sheriff Ali's camp. Now, what we're going to learn is the story on Sheriff Ali's camp is not over. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get into it here. All right. So uh, I'll, just, I'll just make the first comment. Page 207 is where we're going to begin today. So hopefully you have your book ready. And uh, essentially, we're not surprised that uh, uh, this is where Marlowe reveals to all the people sitting on the, uh, on the, the veranda uh, that Sharif Ali fled the country as, as soon as his camp was destroyed. Now, are we surprised by that, Gabe? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so also, Marlowe then tells us on this very, very uh, first page that... Uh, that actually Jim has become the virtual ruler of Patterson. And so, so uh, the, the thing is, if you remember a couple, a couple podcasts ago, we talked about, um, you know, Marlowe has not wanted to tell everybody on the veranda the, the, the last half of his life or the, or the last half of his story because he doesn't want them to think that he didn't uh, attain success 
And so uh, Marlowe keeps reminding us that he did. All right. So uh, one other thing that's interesting is the Raja, and who we know as Tunku Along. Uh, as soon as the camp is done, you know, as soon as Ali's camp is taken off, what happens to him? Well, he fears that he's going to be banished. And, of course, he should be. <laughs> and, you know, if Jim is the peacemaker, if he's the virtual ruler of Patasan, I mean, it would just be natural for the Roger to think he's next. And uh, remember, he would be without opium. He would be without women. He would be without followers. And he'd be a fair game for all the people that hate him anyway. <laughs> so, so that would be coming. Now, and uh, uh, the one thing is the Raja knew that the, the Bujis wanted to settle old scores with him. So, so he was really, really, uh, he's now living in fear. But remember, at, at this last time, uh, Marlowe tried to tell, you know, uh, Jim that the Raja was fearful of him anyway, but now he's really, really in, in fear. All right. So I've talked enough. Gabe, what do you think? When you go to the next section there. Sure. So what comes up next in uh, the story is um, Dorman and uh, Marlowe is talking to Dorman and Dorman uh, tells him that he hopes that his son, Dane Morris, who is one of Jim's best friends on the island, he wants uh, his son to become the eventual ruler of Patterson. And we know that Dane Morris from the past chapters, he's a, he's a good fighter. He has European style of fighting, which um, does a lot of good for him, especially in that taking of um, the Sharif Ali's camp. And um, but yeah, Mar Marlo sees uh, Dorman as basically a cunning old elephant. He's smart and wise, but also right. also really strong and um, and cunning and cunning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So if I could just interject, I'll just help mm -hmm. you here for a minute. The thing about this is, Dorman really wants his son to be the behead, mm -hmm. but he also knows that Jim is really wise, and that they see what Jim is doing, and so, so it's it, he doesn't have any ill feelings towards Jim at all. It's just that he wants to make sure his son becomes king, or the, the virtual ruler, and so, so, but but it, but you, if you notice, all you readers out there. He only reveals this to Marlowe. Yeah. And there's good reason for that. It's because Marlowe's going to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's only there for a few days. So, so uh, but, but, it, but it is, um, I think it is really kind of interesting there that, that one of the things that Dorman is really concerned about, and it's something we discussed before and maybe didn't put it all together like we should have, but the, the, the island people really do respect the whites that have come in and they really have helped them but they go away <laughs> and yeah. so so the big fear is jim is going to come in get everything organized make it a peaceful place and he's going to leave and yeah. so so uh you know the the thing is 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 uh marlo really says oh no he's never going to do that but he never explains why he knows it so confidently that he's not going to leave. Right. And all we all know, or yeah. we should know. <laughs> and it's because of the Patna, or Patma, or whatever it is now. I forgot now. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. So so Marlo says he's not going to leave here because he's escaping life, you know, in, in general. So 
So I think it's also funny there that Doraman's wife then also interrogates Marlowe about Jim's past. And uh, obviously she's, she's right there with her husband. She wants her son to be the ruler of Pedasan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she takes the total women's view as saying, well, doesn't he have a mom that he's missing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, I think that's, that is, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I think that's really, it, it's, it's kind of like very family oriented. And, and uh, I think that's where Jim, he's always rejected his family because he didn't want to be embarrassed in front of them. So, yeah. so you can see his line of thinking is, you know, is just, yeah, really going, going, just it follows the same line. So, um, you know, uh, again, Dorman is really concerned that Marlowe doesn't give a really good, clear answer or any answer at all. And then, um, you know, Marlowe also begins to, to uh, come up with this new line in this chapter with, that, uh, He's telling a love story, <laughs> you know, and so so remember this is all this is all the the love story, and uh, you know Jim's story, then his love story now now comes into play, and this is what we've been waiting for for how many chapters, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, the the big thing is everybody out there listening, if you look at the overview of the book and if you look at what Jim really wanted in his life. He wanted to be a romantic hero, and so so now he gets to save the girl. You know? <laughs> so so that's what's really really going on here. And uh, uh, on page two hundred nine, I think it's interesting. I want to just just say this that um, um, this is at the very bottom of the page. He says, "Thus, where the shadow is of my imagination or not, I can at all events point out the significant fact of an unforgotten grave." So, so essentially, what what uh, Marlowe is talking about this is this is Jules' mother's grave, and essentially, Jim is taking care of this grave, and he goes on to say, "When I tell you, besides that, Jim, with his own hands, had worked at the rustic fence, you will perceive directly the difference, the individual side of the story." There is in his espousal of memory an affection belonging to another human being, something characteristic of his seriousness. He had a conscience, and it was a romantic conscience. And so, so there, uh, Marlowe, or we should say Conrad, is, is giving us the clue that he's finally a romantic hero. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like you, you could just see the cover of a romance novel now, <laughs> you know, with his blonde hair, his blue eyes, you know, and, the, and of course, then there'd be the beautiful jewel right beside him, you know. So, yeah. so anyway, but it's still, uh, you know, as we go, th- as we go through this, it's still, um, um, you know, it's, it's still pretty rough. I mean, there's still a lot of trial with this romance, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's it's not just like wow, you know, uh, you know, she fell in love with him that, that quickly. All right, I'll let you go on to the next one. The, there's a, several characters that that come on the scene now that we have to really learn about. So, right, and the first one is um, Cornelius, which is uh, Jules' stepdad, basically. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, this this is where 
uh, it starts to get interesting because Cornelius is, um, he's quite the character. He's not the most um, friendly person, to say the least. And he doesn't exactly have a great relationship with um, Jewel. And I think that also trans, um, transforms over to uh, Jim as well. He doesn't exactly like Jim. He gets kind of pr protective of Jewel, but at the same time doesn't have a good uh, relationship with her. And, you know, he he's not a, a great stepfather in that sense. So um, we'll see later that how Jim takes uh, to his... Uh, stepfather-in-law i guess yeah i don't say. know if you I don't know if you call him that but the, th <laughs> the thing is one thing readers you have to understand is that cornelius could care less about jewel he's there and there's some mystery in here that's finally revealed that there's a mystery there's a relationship between stein and the wife that's died, dead and there's also a relationship between stein and the daughter or jewel and so so the, the thing is, Cornelius knows the history, and essentially it seems like to me that Stein, and you can disagree with me or, or not since we, we read ahead, but it's like Stein is keeping him satisfied to keep the story quiet. Because he keeps, he keeps, he kept sending goods to him. He keeps sending goods over and over again to him and I think with the idea of taking care of his wife and the daughter and her daughter, you know. So yeah. so anyway, I, I think it's interesting there there on page two oh nine he said he describes Cornelius as the awful Malacca Portuguese. His wife had no companion but her one daughter. So it it doesn't look like they had a happy marriage at all. No, yeah. Yeah. And that that uh, in some ways the woman probably got relief because of the, uh, you know, that she died. I mean, that's just, it might be a little bit of a hard way to say it. Um, but this is still at the bottom of page 209. It says, through her whole life, the wife of the unspeakable Cornelius had no other companion, confidant, and friend but her daughter. How the poor woman had come to marry the awful Malacca Portuguese after the separation from the father of her girl and, and how that separation had been brought about, whether by death, which can be sometimes merciful, or by the merciless pressure of conventions, is a mystery to me. From the little which Stein, who knew so many stories, had let drop in my hearing, I am convinced that she was no ordinary woman. So these are conversations he had with Stein that we, we have never seen before. And it says her own father had been a white, a high official, one of the brilliantly endowed men who are not dull enough to nurse a success and whose careers so often la often end under a cloud. I suppose she, too, must have lacked the saving dullness and her career ended in Patterson. And so so there's there's the description of the mother. And it, it is here, Marlowe drops the hint. And, of course, we're going to learn more about it later. But he drops the hint that Stein knows a lot about this situation and yeah. so so I, that's that's my deduce deucement of it that stein is actually taking care of the mother and the daughter through some awful <laughs> malacca portuguese guy <laughs> so all right all right you want to go on now you want to take it to take the next little point there we have to jump um 
uh, it's kind of like the romance myth. Oh. Yeah. You want me to do it? Yeah, I'll take it. I don't remember okay. much about this part. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Gabe has class in the morning, and he really, he's a good guy. He, he's got to do other things, too, besides, <laughs> besides TV and radio. Or I should say radio. All right. So uh, if, we, we, if you go to page 10, uh, 210 to 213, I mean, it's kind of like a long section. But this is where the, the romance myth of Jim and Jewel begins. And it's, it's really, I think, quite, quite fascinating. And, um, uh, you know, he goes on at the bottom of page 210. You have to really, really pay attention. And this is where, um, you know, Conrad jumps back and forth sometimes, and it really can get really can get confusing. But at the bottom of page two ten it says, "But I am sure that the mother was as much of a woman as the daughter seemed to be. I cannot help picturing to myself these two: at first the young woman and the child, then the old woman and the young girl, and the awful sameness and the swift passage of time, the barrier of the forest, the solitude, and the turmoil round these two lonely lives, and every word spoken between them." penetrated with sad sad meaning. There must have been confidences, not so much of fact, I suppose, as of inmost feelings, regrets, fears, warnings, no doubt, warnings that the younger did not fully understand till the elder was dead and Jim came along. And so, so here, you know, it seems like the mother was probably just as beautiful, you know, as the daughter. And uh, she was stuck in a, you know, in a really bad situation. He said, um, uh, Jim called her by a word that means precious in the sense of a precious gem, jewel. Pretty, isn't it? But he was capable of anything. He was equal to his fortune as he, after all, must have been equal to his misfortune. Jewel, he called her, and he would say this as he might have said, Jane, don't you know? with a marital, home-like, peaceful effect. I heard the name for the first time 10 minutes after I had landed in his courtyard, when, after nearly shaking my arm off, he darted up the steps and began to make a joyous, boyish disturbance at the door under the heavy eaves. Jewel, oh, Jewel, quick, here's a friend come. And so, so you can see by, at, at this part of the story, um, you know, there are obviously... Um, you know, in a house together, and and they're they're living together, and so it just seems like, um, you know, the way, the way, Marlowe sees it is there's this beautiful, you know, relationship between them, but there's also there's peace in the home, you know, and it's like he's he's getting some real, you know, value out of life. So, so this is why this is why I call it, um, you know, the the romance myth. Now. Um, if you if you look at page two thirteen, and again, like I said, there's a lot in here, and we, we can't cover everything in here, but but hopefully you're reading it. I mean, not just listening. I know some people, um, you know, have you know spoken to me personally, and they say, "Well, we're just listening." I said, "Aren't you reading?" And they said, "No, we're just listening. We just love listening." And I said, "Well, that's fine, but you ought to read it." You know, so so but but the the thing is. We have to understand that, that Jim was, you know, we, we know about what happened with Sharifa Lee, and we know what happened to the camp, but as much as Jim wanted to have this private life 
where no one knew anything, the myths about him transcended the island. And, you know, he calls this young girl Jewel. We don't know what her original name was. That's his name for her. And so, so at the bottom of, of um, 213, this is where the, where the idea of the myth really comes in. There's all this, um, remember, they, they thought Jim was like this superhero when he was carrying two, two cannon up the side of the mountain, you know. And now they have this, there's this whole myth about her. And this is at the bottom of the page. People said the white man could be seen with her almost any day, and they walked side by side openly, he holding her arm under his, pressed to his side, thus in a most extraordinary way. This might be a lie, he concluded, for it was indeed a strange thing for anyone to do. On the other hand, there could be no doubt she wore the white man's jewel concealed upon her bosom. And so there was this myth that there was this huge emerald, this green, beautiful green stone, and that, that he had found it somehow on the island, and that she wore it around her neck. To That's how he kept it. You know, it's how he kept control of it. It's not the way it is. <laughs> it's just a big myth. And so, so, but I'm sure he did consider her, um, you know, to be a jewel. And also, she was very valuable to Jim. All right. So uh, that, that we, we're through with chapter 28, everyone. All right. Let's skip into to chapter 29. And uh, I kind of retitled this myself as Jim does not hide his jewel. <laughs> so, so it's interesting in here that uh, if we go to page 214, 215, um, we get Marlowe's, um, well, he gives a description of jewel. So if you're ready for that one, if you're not, I can take it. Okay, I'll take it. I'm, I'm, I know... Uh, you got a lot to do. All right. So uh, uh, I'm just going to st- read. Just, this is the second paragraph down in 2.14. And it says, It comes to me now that I had on the whole seen very little of her. And so, so the thing is, you know, she, uh, he, he says later that she was audacious, but she just wasn't out in everybody's face all the time. And, in other words, I think by this time she really liked the... the uh, the way she was living. She liked what Jim was providing for her. He says, what I remember best is the even olive pallor of her complexion and the intense blue-black gleams of her hair flowing abundantly from under a small crimson cap she wore far back on her her shapely head. Her movements were free, assured, and she blushed a dusky red. While Jim and I were talking, she would come and go with rapid glances at us, leaving... uh, uh, leaving, she would come and go with rapid glances at us, leaving on her passage an impression of grace and charm and a distinct suggestion of watchfulness. Her manner presented a curious combination of shyness and audacity. So she wasn't just a wallflower. You know, I think she was, uh, of course, we know a little bit later that she was pretty much abused by Cornelius said, every pretty smile was succeeded swiftly by a look of silent, repressed anxiety, as if put to flight by the recollection of some abiding danger. At times, she would sit down with us, and with her soft cheek dimpled by the knuckles of her little hand, she would listen to our talk. Her big, clear eyes would remain fastened to our lips, as though each pronounced word had a visible shape. 
Her mother had taught her to read and write. She had learned a good bit of English from Jim, and she spoke it almost amusingly with his own clipping boyish intonation. Her tenderness hovered over him like a flutter of wings. She lived so completely in his contemplation that she had acquired something of his outward aspect, something that recalled him in her movements, in the way she stretched her arm, turned her head, directed her glances. Her vigilant affection had an intensity that made it almost perceptible to the senses. It seemed actually to exist in the ambient matter of space, to envelop him like a peculiar fragrance, to, we- to dwell in the sunshine like a tremulous, subdued, and impassioned note. I suppose you think that I, too, am romantic. <laughs> of course he is, <laughs> because he's Conrad. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, the, the, the point is what, what Marlowe is trying to bring out is that, that uh, he senses that Jewel appears overly anxious about Jim. And uh, remember, it, I, I think she's a reflection of Doraman and the other people on the island. Here this, this handsome, beautiful white man has come and has saved the island. And this, as we're going to go through this some more, um, you know, this handsome white guy has saved her because we're going to hear more about the Cornelia story. We don't know everything yet. <laughs> so so Marlo's going to tell it to us, as he always does later. But, but anyway... Um, she was afraid Jim was going to leave her again. You know, she had a father to leave her, and then she, her mother has to marry Cornelius, and she doesn't want that kind of life again. And, uh, uh, but, but there for the first couple of pages, uh, uh, all of your readers out there, it's just really pleasant what, what goes on between the two of them. And I think Marlowe, again, was really, really struck by... Jim and his domestic happiness, and then uh, also Marley even says it was high romance between Jim and Joel. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, th- there is a movie about this. I'd love to see it, but I, I tried to get it on uh, Amazon, and the, the film was broken or something like that. They, they didn't show it. I don't know if they're going to get it fixed or not, but, but I would really like to see the movie of this. All right. Um, one thing in this whole chapter, again, this is still, this is the, the myth of the romance. Uh, Marlowe discusses the character Tam Itam again. And uh, you have to go back to the former chapter when they, they took Ali's camp. And it was Tam Itam that actually saved Jim from getting speared, you know, up there. And so he's, he's also very protective of Jim. And if you look at page 215, uh, just right there in the middle, it says, The very Tam, I Tam, marching on our journeys upon the heels of his white lord, with his head thrown back, truculent, and be weaponed like a janissary, with Chris, Chopper, and Lance. So he's carrying three weapons with him when he's with Jim. Um, the, the, the thing is, he's there. He really wants to protect Jim. And so... so we, we now have Jewel, she wants to protect him, Tam wants to really protect him, and, and also Doraman is very concerned about him. And because now there's all these rumors flying that they want to assassinate Jim. And so, so there he is, he's having, he's, he's in love, he's really become head of the island, he's a peacemaker, and yet there's a lot of danger all around him. And the, the one thing that's interesting is 
is Marlowe now coming on the island. He can see it all. But he thinks Jim is reckless. He thinks he's careless. You know, he, he doesn't think he's, he's uh, you know, really on top of it. And, uh, of course, uh, we don't know it yet, but, but Jim, obviously, I mean, if you, I mean, remember now, he's just a fictional character. But uh, eventually Marlowe is going to tell us a story about really what was going on with Jewel and when Jim got there. And so, uh, uh, but we do, we, we do have to realize, and I think, I think as you read out there, all of you that are reading it, you get the, you get the feeling or the foreshadowing that there's something not going to be right. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of right there for us. And so, uh, I know, uh, I'm really glad I finished the book, uh, myself because I knew there was something coming and I still, I have to admit, and we'll we'll talk about this when we get there. But I'm still shocked how it all happens. <laughs> it's still shocking. It's not how I anticipated it happening, and I purposely did not read anything on the internet about it, so that I would be surprised. I mean, one of the things I did as a young man, young boy, is when my sisters were reading a book, I'd always read the last chapter, and then tell them what happened at the end, <laughs> and they hated it. So, so I apologized to all of them. But I know they're not listening anyway. <laughs> One can't. She's dead. So, uh, uh, but but anyway, that was what that was my evil tricks as a little boy, you know. So they probably wish I'd never learned to read. All right. Um, the, the 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 thing is, um, he, he lets Cornelius have free access to his property, and then if we go to, if we go, uh, let's see. Um, I think we ought to read this. This is a good description, and I think that, you know what, we're not going to be able to have time to do this. <laughs> so, But there's a great description of Cornelius on page 216. And so uh, I think what we can do is we can save that for the next time. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Gabe and I will continue our discussion of Jim's adventures on Patterson. Now, you can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com, and you can also find a copy in your local bookstore. And of course, you can also check your local library. Now, it's a little late to be purchasing it. Uh, we do have a new series coming up after we do four programs on um, Moby Dick. And so uh, you're going to be buying some more books. But I still recommend you read this and go back and listen to all the podcasts. It's really been a great series. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.